You're listening to Diplomatic Dispatch, brought to you by Idea Farm Malaysia. Get updates on our upcoming episodes and programs via our website at www.ideafar.gov.my or follow us on our social media at Ideafar Malaysia. International Women's Day is celebrated on the 8th of March every year. The date has been celebrated ever since the women of Soviet Russia managed to obtain universal suffrage in 1917. This year, 2022, the theme of the International Women's Day is Break the Bias. Malaysia's women have long been an integral part of Malaysian politics and administration. Beginning with the first woman diplomat in the form of Madam P.G. Lim, the Diplomatic Corps of Malaysia has always seen its women rise through rank and file to become ambassadors, high commissioners and occupy other top management posts. As we celebrate Women's Day on 8 March, Diplomatic Dispatch thought it would be timely to speak to a few of the many women of substance in the diplomatic world. Your Excellency, thank you for being with us today. Before we begin, let me share a brief introduction to our listeners. Her Excellency Pam Dunn has been in the diplomatic service for many years. Before her current position as the New Zealand High Commissioner to Malaysia, she was posted to several countries such as China, Indonesia and Thailand. Her Excellency was also attached to the ASEAN Secretariat in Jakarta in 2018. Your Excellency, please share with our listeners on how your diplomatic journey started and challenges you have faced along the way, balancing work and family life, postings and advice to aspiring women diplomats of tomorrow. I've been a career public servant for quite a long time. I was one of the first women diplomats at quite a senior level to have time out to have a child and then to come back and work part-time. And, and I can talk about that later on, but it was quite innovative of the foreign ministry at the time to allow me not to work full hours. So that was something I really appreciated and was quite important for me in, in order to maintain my diplomatic career. So we do time offshore and we do time off back in New Zealand. So I've done a mix back in New Zealand covering human rights, Southeast Asian affairs, uh, North Asia affairs. So quite a variety of jobs within my own foreign ministry. New Zealand was the first country in the world to give women the vote back in 1893. Our current prime minister is a woman. She, she's actually the third woman to lead the country. Our current governor general and our chief justice are also women. Half our MPs in parliament are women. So, so there's quite a strong tradition of women in, in the workforce. So I think my situation is probably different from many other women diplomats around the world. And, and I'm enormously grateful for the, the trailblazers who went before me. Having said that, I think the Foreign Service was a bit slower than the rest of the New Zealand public sector change. Before my time, right up until the 1970s, if a woman diplomat got married, she had to resign from the Foreign Service. So for quite a long time, the senior woman had to make quite a difficult decision. And as I said, it wasn't really until the 1970s that you could combine a family life and be a diplomat. 
now, of course, you can do both. So for me, I didn't feel like I was alone in that situation. The, that's not to say everything in, in the foreign service back home is now fine and easy for women. My senior management team are doing quite a lot of work on gender pay gaps. And I'm not sure what the situation here is, but you know, men and women get the same pay for doing the same job, of course. But what we have found in the foreign ministry is there's a gap where there's more men in senior roles while women occupy the lower level roles. And at my level, at ambassador level, there's only 34% of ambassadors who are women, even though women make up almost 60% of the entire foreign ministry and heavily dominate. So for me, I would say juggling work-life balance was the most challenging thing in, in my career. I personally took time off when my son was young, something which I do not regret whatsoever, uh, even though it put me behind my peers in terms of seniority. When I returned to work, I wanted to work part-time three days a week. So as I said earlier, I, I became the first mid-level officer to do what we call a job share. And I did that with another woman officer. She only wanted to work two days a week. So combined, we were one full-time position. Now, at the time, I remember a lot of managers said, it wouldn't work. We need you in the office every day. So I do want to pay tribute to that one manager who was willing to take that risk and took both of us on. He, he ended up being enormously pleased with the arrangement because he found that part-time staff actually work more efficiently than full-time staff. You know, he, he would comment that the full-time staff would take coffee breaks, they'd chat with their colleagues, they'd read the newspapers. Whereas he noticed the part-time staff were just with their heads down, trying to get everything done before they left for the day to, to pick up their children from school. So I would encourage any managers listening to consider allowing more flexible arrangements for staff. You know, you will get a lot more out of them if you can find ways that allow them to do their job in a way that best suits them. Asia's incredibly family friendly and um, you know childcare is both good and affordable so if anything it's probably been easier achieving the work-life balance in this part of the world and we in the high commission we're always telling our colleagues back at in Wellington to you know apply for a posting to Malaysia come to Malaysia because the home help is great and it's a safe and place for young families you know and, and those are really important decisions to make when you apply for a posting you know the living conditions the schooling the health care and so on you know they play a really major role in, in deciding where to go and I think you know Asia offers a lot of that in general um, you know my advice would be to put people first put your family first and then these other things will then fall into place if you ask me what advice I would have given to my younger self, 
I think I would want to say be more confident. I think if I got a do-over, I think I often just lack the confidence to apply for certain jobs when I was probably more qualified than others. I Sometimes I just couldn't see myself in that role. And I was, you know, thinking, can I actually handle that such a demanding role with a young child? I think in retrospect, I should have just been more confident and thought, I, you know, let's go for the job and then worry about how to make it work later. You know, set the boundaries and then figure it out rather than just saying, no, 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 I don't want to. It's too big. It's too demanding. I accept that for some time, for some seasons, you might want to have time out. So I, for five years, opted not to go for a diplomatic posting when my son was at a quite a crucial age for around his schools and exams. But, you know, it's not forever. So to be more confident and I think to seek out more advice from older people who've been there before, I think mentors are really important for both men and women. Having someone who believes in you and encourages you and can prod you can make a huge difference to your confidence. Building good relationships and finding other woman friends and supporting and encouraging one another and promoting one another. You know, put each other's names forward. You know, I think she would be really good for this project. What about her? You know, she. I know that she's had time off for having children, but, you know, she's really good. She's got these skills, you know. And I think um, we just need to be more proactive about supporting one another. And if you're a senior woman officer, reach out to the younger ones. Sometimes they might be a bit shy, but I just find, you know, they're really responsive. If, if you just say hello, you know, welcome, tell me more about yourself, just having the kind of a coffee time with them. And, and you know, they, I think they find it, I certainly did, found it really enormously helpful having someone older to use as a sounding board. So being a woman diplomat can have its challenges, but it's such a rewarding career to represent your country in different parts of the world. And I would just really encourage any young woman listening to just go for it. Thank you, Your Excellency. Allow me to introduce our next guest, Ms. Intan Zarina. She is currently the Undersecretary of the Administration and Security Division at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. She has been in the service for almost 20 years and her previous posting in 2006 was to the Malaysian Embassy in Manila, Philippines. Ms. Intan, without further ado, please share with us your diplomatic journey. I remember during that time when I was interviewed by an interviewer from uh, Wismaputra, it was a session in Intan Bukit Kiara. That was during DPA time. Yeah, I remember the interviewer sort of like warned me. She told me that, you know, as a woman in Wisma Putra, you would need to sacrifice a lot. There are times whereby you have to sacrifice your family life. Even many in Wisma Putra, the ladies have opted not to have a family, not to have a, a husband or children because the ministry life is very demanding. It's a very demanding master. And it will require your full commitment. And for those who wanted to have a family, she wants me then to have a strong extended family support to look after the children when the time comes, you know, because you will definitely be demanded and bombarded with all the work. And uh, being a young officer then, I took this uh, with an open mind uh, because I believe that each one of us have been created by God with different life journey and challenges. 
So for me, I believe that if God meant you to have it, there will be ways on how you're going to, to make it work. Back then, true enough, in 2002, there were not many lady officers and most of the lady officers which I've met, they were single because traditionally, you see, diplomatic life has been male-dominated and our male officers, they have the loving support of their spouse to help them to manage the family life. And for women, that's another different story altogether. We are basically the mother, right? So it can be very, very challenging. And diplomatic life in Well, in some ways, we can describe it as an old boys network. So that's why I have full respect for women who had paved the way before me. Lady ambassadors, lady diplomats that have paved the way before me because they are showing me that it can be done, especially those who are mothers as well as, uh, you know, lady officers, it can be done. And in fact, some of them are even better than their male counterparts. And they have done a lot of good work, either in the realm of bilateral, regional or multilateral. When I informed them that I'll be posted to Manila, the first reaction, I remember my mom was like, are you sure? Because she was quite worried because in 2000, back then, in early 2005, the situation in the Philippines during that time was not stable because there was a confrontation between the Moro Islamic Liberation Front, the government of the Republic of the Philippines or the GRP. It so happened that those who are being posted there, they will also be quote unquote relic. Well, they have to become some sort of like a negotiator. You will be joining the OIC missions counterpart whereby you will be doing works uh, in negotiating some of the talks between the GRP and also the MILF. So yes, my mom had sleepless nights, especially so when I told her that I'll be accompanying my ambassador to visit uh, the leader of MILF. It was in Darapanan camp in Southern Philippines. So uh, I think I was quite the few lady diplomats who visited the camp. And it was quite exciting for me. But it was, uh, you know, when I told my mom in the hindsight, I shouldn't have told her. Because I remember during that time, as we entering the camp, the Darapanan camp, along the way, there were like young men or rather boys, I would say, age about 10 years old, holding rifles and bazookas, very proud holding their, you know, their arms. And those were the situation back then. It was quite interesting, quite challenging. And uh, in a woman's point of view, it's actually very interesting because they look at us, women diplomat, as a rarity. And uh, when they want to talk to you, they will talk to you with a certain ways. Because even though they can be very strict women, they are very uh, kind and cautious. And it's really good because it helps me to pave contacts within the MILF to get more information uh, when I wanted to do my CPREP. It is very challenging. What my then uh, interviewer warned me was definitely correct. But among others, in trying to having a balanced work in your career, in your family life, The most important thing is it is very pertinent for you to have an understanding spouse. Because in my case, my husband is also uh, in foreign service. My husband is the undersecretary for consular division. So both of us have demanding careers and we need to juggle our life as such so that our child does not feel neglected. That is very important because see, it's so sad for a child if both of their parents are not able to to be there for them you know when they when they need it so sometimes this juggling act requires sacrifice for example uh, when he was posted as consul general i have to take a step back 
and I opted for a no pay leave because I need to do that because my child was very young and I don't want him to miss out, you know, in his, I don't want to miss out and he, I don't want him to miss out of having a parent in his life, uh, which can concentrate on him during his formative years. So even though our family, uh, again, uh, I remember the, the warning from my previous interviewer, she said that if you happen to have a child, you need to have a supportive family, right? In our case, uh, both of our families are, you know, they are far. Uh, my husband's was in Kelantan, his family, and mine is in Sarawak. But again, along the life journey that we've been through so far, we've met with a lot of kind people which helped us. Um, and um, I think that most of the officers and staff and their families that we've met along the way in our, in our life journey, in Wisma Putra, we considered them as our extended family. And they have been helping us a lot in this journey of ours. And another thing which I would like to sort of like advise for those who have a life, a career which need to be juggled and also have families as well with young children. One of the things which I find very, very important and it helps me a lot is actually putting down lease. Every day before I start to work, I will put down lease, a lease of to do for work and lease to do for family life. And from there, I look at the list and I will look at what I need to prioritize. And that's how I juggle. Sometimes just yesterday, you know, I went back home. It was already nighttime. And then my son need to have some chicken soup because he was not feeling well. And then my officer was calling me. I need to clear something a minute. So I was you need to multitask. Another thing is you need to multitask. So I was doing the, I was clearing the minute at the same time I was doing laundry and I was cooking. You have to multitask. Usually when I have this kind of subordinates or colleagues that come for me for them, for an advice, you know, how to go about this. I ask them because for different people, different situation. So I will ask them, what is your priority in life? Can your existing challenge, you can weather it with this current life situation at the moment? If not, you have to you know, stand back and see what are the things which can make it work. For example, in my case, both of us have demanding careers. Sometimes I need to take a step back. Sometimes my husband needs to take a step back. So these are the things which they need to look at their life situation. And only them can be able to sort of like decide what they need to do in their life. Because uh, you cannot have all. Sometimes there are times when you have to choose what needs to be done, what needs to be prioritized. For those ladies, uh, they are out there who aspire to become a lady diplomat. For me, as a lady diplomat, I feel that this career is very rewarding. Because you will have the opportunity to be on the front seat of history. You, as a diplomat, are also historians in your own right. So it is very rewarding. But at the same time as well, for those who wanted to be a lady diplomat, you need to be prepared to work hard, even harder than your male colleague. You need to be able to juggle life, not all, because you have to juggle both your career and your family life as well. And if you have children, your children as well. And you need to be prepared to sacrifice, be it time, be it money, and sometimes, my dear, love. And you need to be able to always be positive. And at all times, you need to be kind. 
because everyone that you meet is actually facing their own battle that you know nothing about and therefore be kind thank you your excellency and miss intan for the wonderful insights to conclude our session today diplomatic dispatch would like to wish all amazing diplomats out there a happy international women's day Tune in for more episodes of the IDFR podcast Diplomatic Dispatch. Thank you for listening.